Good morning. Our scripture reading this morning is from the Old Testament, from Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 8. It's on page 726 in the Pew Bible. But first, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, we come to you today through the righteousness of your Son, Jesus Christ. We thank you for your word that you have left for us. We thank you for your Holy Spirit that fills us and gives us guidance and instruction. We are here to receive your word and we pray for insight and understanding so we will know and do your will. We so want to be obedient and please you, Lord God. We give you all praise and all honor and all glory. Amen. Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1 through 8. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken from tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away. Your sin is atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? And then I said, Here I am. Send me. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Terry. I love that scene from Isaiah. The prophet Isaiah comes into the presence of Almighty God. He's overwhelmed by God's holiness, and so he confesses his own sin and says, Woe was me. I'm a man, a man among a people of unclean lips. I'm a man with unclean lips among a people of unclean lips. And then amazingly, God atones him, touches his mouth so that he might be cleaned. And then God says, Whom shall I send? Who will go for me? And with an exclamation mark, Isaiah says, here am I, send me. Every time I read that, I can't help but think of the old show, um, Welcome Back, Cotter. Do you remember that from the 70s? Anybody remember the 70s? Any of us? Okay, okay, some of us, yeah. Well, there was this old show, Welcome Back, Cotter. Uh, John Travolta was in that. Now the ladies remember. Yes, okay, John Travolta was in that show. So there was this little character, uh, Arnold Horshack. And anytime Mr. Cotter, the uh, teacher, would teach this group of remedial students, he'd ask them a question. Arnold Horshack would always raise his hand and say, oh, 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 me, me, please. I know, I know. And I always think of Isaiah raising his hand saying, yeah, yeah, here am I, send me. But having no idea what he was volunteering for. I mean, if you read through the book of Isaiah, do you think Isaiah would have been so eager to, to volunteer if he, if he really knew what God was going to call him to say? I mean, the words of the prophets are, are not well received. In fact, history tells us that, that Isaiah was eventually sawn in two because the king of Judah got tired of hearing from Isaiah. Isaiah has some harsh words. God gives Isaiah some harsh words to say. Here's just a a sampling from Isaiah 24, verses 3 to 6. Isaiah says, The earth shall be utterly empty and utterly 
plundered, for the Lord has spoken this word. The earth mourns and withers, the world languishes and withers, the highest people of the earth languish. The earth lies defiled under its inhabitants, for they have transgressed the laws, violated the statutes, broken the everlasting covenant. Therefore, a curse devours the earth, and its inhabitants suffer for their guilt. Therefore, the inhabitants of the earth are scorched, and few men are left. Wow, those are not fun words. That's not the kind of thing I'd want to volunteer to say to people, but that's what Isaiah did. He volunteered. Have you ever found yourself volunteering and taking on more than you can actually chew? Any of us ever felt overwhelmed by the responsibilities you've taken on anybody? All, every parent should now raise your hand at this point. None of us, I don't care how good your kids are, none of us are really ready for parenting, are we? The late night feedings, the unpredictable bowel movements, the temper, temper tantrums in the middle of the store, the unpredictable illnesses. I, I mean, parenting is truly a sanctifying process. God uses our parenting to help humble us, to help realize that we need to pray and we need to seek God's guidance. He teaches us to expect the unexpected. Well, as we continue our journey through the story this morning, the grand narrative of Scripture, we find that once again, Jesus has done the unexpected. For after being crucified on a cross, on the third day, he rises again from the dead. He's raised from the dead. It's it's truly amazing. And then in our text this morning, he commissions his disciples with a challenge that could seem overwhelming. And yet, Jesus shows us how we are to respond and how we can succeed in the midst of overwhelming responsibilities. To find out how we can succeed in the midst of feeling overwhelmed, I would encourage you to turn to the gospel of Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28, beginning at verse 16. But before I read God's word, let's call upon his spirit again to guide us in the reading and preaching of his holy word. Please join me as he pray. Gracious and loving God, I thank you for your holy inspired word. We thank you that by your spirit, you inspired Matthew to put pen to paper so that we might have your written word today. God, I pray that as we read your words, you might open our eyes and open our hearts that we might be transformed at the reading and the preaching of your holy word. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your holy sight. Through your son's precious name, we pray in all God's people said, amen. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 28 Beginning at verse 16, it may be found on page 1062 of your Red Pew Bible. Matthew chapter 28, beginning at verse 16. Listen to the word of the Lord. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee. I want to pause there just for a moment. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee. The 11 disciples? I thought there were 12 disciples. I mean, there were 12 tribes of Israel. There were the 12 sons of Jacob. There there were the 12 disciples, right? I I mean, in Matthew chapter 10, Matthew tells us and gives us a list of the 12 disciples. Listen to this list. Count with me. And he called to him his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. The names of the 12 apostles are these. First, Simon who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon, the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Did you count 12? I counted 12. Matthew says there's 12. And yet, in Matthew 28, there's only 11 
disciples. What happened from Matthew 10 to, to Matthew 28? Well, if you've been reading through the story at home along with us, you'll know that in that final last supper in the upper room in John chapter 13, Jesus is with his disciples and he tells them very clearly that one of them is going to betray him. And so the disciples begin to wonder, is it I, Lord? Is it I? And finally, Jesus says to his disciples in John chapter 13, verses 26 to 27, it says, Jesus answered, it is he to whom I will give this morsel of bread when I have dipped it. So when he had dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. Then after he'd taken the morsel, Satan entered into him, into Judas, and Jesus said to him, what you're going to do, do quickly. Now, I've got to be honest with you. If I had been Judas and I had just heard Jesus say that the person I dip this uh, morsel of bread in and I give to, that's the one who's going to betray me. And if Jesus had offered it to me, I'd say, Jesus, I'm full. I'm good. I think Matthew looks like he's still hungry, though. You know, uh, you should give it to him. I mean, if someone's going to betray you, it would be the tax collector, right? But it wasn't Matthew. It was Judas. And Judas betrays Jesus for 13 pieces of silver. And then we read after Jesus, after Judas betrays Jesus in Matthew chapter 27, Judas feels incredible guilt. We read, then when Judas, his betrayer, saw that Jesus was condemned, he changed his mind and brought back the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders, saying, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. They said, what is that to us? See to it yourself. And throwing down the pieces of silver into the temple, he departed and he went and hanged himself. Judas felt such guilt for betraying Jesus that he kills himself. Judas had lost all hope. Have you ever felt like you've lost all hope? Have you ever known anyone who has lost all hope? Two years ago, one of my really good friends from Houston, a guy named Mark, who used to help teach the largest singles class in the singles ministry that I helped lead at First Presbyterian Church of Houston, decided to drive all the way from Houston to San Francisco to jump off the Golden Gate Bridge. I actually used to eat lunch with Mark once a month to sit down and talk to him because he was a teacher in one of the large classes that I helped lead, and I talked to him about the lesson plans, what he was thinking about, what the Bible had to say, and and I would even share some of my sermon ideas for a sermon that I was about to preach, and I was always impressed with, with Mark's ability to find different insights and different perspectives on what the scriptures had to say. How is it that someone who would know the Bible so well, how is it that he, well, that he could lose hope? He would make the conscious decision to drive from Houston to San Francisco to, to jump off the Golden Gate Bridge. Didn't Mark know that we loved him? And more importantly, didn't Mark know that God loved him? When I flew down to Houston to to do the funeral, my old singles class got together. Most of them are now married. That's a successful singles class, I guess. You get people married. And we talked about the last time we'd all seen Mark. And it was interesting, as as each person was was sharing, a picture was beginning to be painted. We were all learning and discovering that Mark had recently been through some great disappointments in his career and in a recent relationship. And we also learned that Mark had... Well, he'd been a victim of, of sexual abuse as a little boy. I didn't know that. But Mark, in his depression and his shame, he lost all hope. He forgot the words of Jesus. 
He began to isolate himself from the church. He was no longer a part of a church. He was no longer attending a Bible study or even attending worship. He was trying to do it alone. And in his loneliness, he forgot the clear words that we find in Scripture, the words of Jesus, the words of God's love. What if Judas had simply remembered the words of Jesus? What if Judas had simply remembered what what Jesus had said to his disciples before they entered into the city of Jerusalem? We find these words in Matthew chapter 20, verses 17 to 19. Jesus says to his disciples, and as Jesus was going up to Jerusalem, he took the 12 disciples, including Judas, aside, and on the way he said to them, see, we're going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles to be mocked, flogged, and crucified. And he will be raised on the third day. What if Judas had just remembered the words of Jesus that on the third day, Jesus was going to conquer sin and death on our behalf. On the third day, he was going to rise again if Judas had just remembered the words of Jesus. In the midst of his guilt, in the midst of his shame, in the midst of his hurt, if he just waited a few more days, I'm sure Jesus would have welcomed Judas back. After all, isn't that what he does to Peter? Peter denied him three times. And Jesus welcomes Peter back and says, Peter, I'm going to use you to to make disciples. Jesus welcomed Thomas back. Thomas was doubting. He had no faith. He wasn't sure. He wanted to see the real body, the touch and feel Jesus. He he didn't just believe. But Jesus says, Thomas, I'm going to use you. I'm sure God could have found a way to use Judas if Jesus had just waited Judas had just remembered and believed the words of Jesus. Then Judas would have been there on that hill, commissioned with the rest of the disciples in the text that we read this morning. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him. But some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the very end of the age. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, if you were to read this text in the original Greek, there's a word that appears four times. It's pas, which means all. It, it shows up in English, but one time it's, it's translated as Always. If you see this, you'll notice that in this text, this great commission, Jesus says that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him. The disciples are commissioned to go and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey everything, all that he has commanded him. And Jesus will be with them all of their days to the very end of the age. All. All authority. All nations. All my teachings. I'll be with you all the days to the very end of the age. Now, can you imagine just for a moment if you were one of those 11 disciples up on that hill and and you've seen the risen Jesus and you're you're still overwhelmed by this fact that he's he's risen, he's he's alive. You saw him die, now he's alive. And you see this and and he's commissioning you and, and you're all worshiping him together, but in your heart of hearts, you know that some of your friends, some of your compadres, well, they don't really believe, they doubt. In fact, you might have some doubts yourself. I mean, who's ever seen a a dead man raised, right? I mean, this is amazing. This is uh, spectacular, remarkable. 
But Jesus commissions all of you, even with your fear and your doubts, even though you as Jewish men had, had previously denied and, 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 and fleed when Jesus was arrested, Jesus now is commissioning you, Jewish men, on a hill in Galilee to make disciples of all nations. Say, what? Jesus is telling these 11 Jewish men who have previously scattered in fear when Jesus was arrested to go and make disciples of all. Ethnos is the Greek word. We get the English word ethnic from ethnos. It's not just sovereign nations with their own governments that Jesus is calling us to make disciples. No, it's every ethnic group, every tribe and tongue. We're supposed to talk to them and tell them about Jesus. And Jesus is going to use these fearful 11 men, doubting men who had abandoned Jesus in his time of need in the Garden of Gethsemane. They couldn't even stay awake. And when he got arrested, they scattered like sheep without a shepherd. God is going to use these men. Jesus is calling these men to go and make disciples of all ethnic, all ethnic groups. What is it that Jesus, what does Jesus see in these guys exactly? What does Jesus see in you and me? That he would commission us to go and make disciples. This past week, I had the opportunity to audit a class at Fuller Seminary. <clears throat> Thank you for that opportunity. One of the elements of my uh, salary package is that I get a week off to go and study, and so I appreciate that. I actually get two weeks, but I took this week to go to Fuller Seminary to take a class called Soul Care, The Health of a Leader. It was supposed to be taught by one of the leading professors of Christian counseling, Archibald Hart, but Dr. Hart uh, has uh, contracted cancer. And so he was in the midst of chemo treatment. He was very weak and unable to teach the class. And so he sent his three daughters with their three PhDs to come and teach our class. I was amazed at their teaching and their brilliance. Every single one of these women have written their own books. They are experts in their field. And I kept thinking to myself, what kind of dad has three daughters with three PhDs? I mean, can you imagine Trivial Pursuit at their house on Thanksgiving? I mean... I mean, they'd get every answer right. You couldn't possibly beat them. They've read so many books. They're they're so well-read. Their breadth of knowledge was was overwhelming to me. And I kept thinking, what kind of father has three daughters with three different PhDs, experts in their field? He's the kind of father who believes in his children's potential. He's the kind of father who, who loves his children and he sees what his children often don't see. He sees their God given potential. He sees what God can do in and through them. As a part of this class, these women all drew a genogram. We talked about family systems theory and how oftentimes we bring a lot of junk from our family of origin with us and into ministry or whatever we end up doing. And, and these women all gave testimony about how it was their father who, who encouraged them in the midst of their studies. When they felt overwhelmed by the, the pressures of academia, their father was right there cheering them on, saying, you can do it. I believe in you. You have some great ideas. These ideas need to be shared. God has a plan for you. He's going to use you. Yes, he has blessed you to be a blessing. It was the constant encouragement of their father that helped them become the successful women of God that they are today. Can you hear our Heavenly Father encouraging us, challenging us, Empowering us, saying, go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. I believe in you. You can do this. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to Jesus. 
Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. You remember the lessons I taught you. Now you go teach them. And behold, I am with you always to the very end of the age. The Great Commission, Jesus is telling his disciples and he's telling us that he believes in us. He can use us. Even with our doubts and our fears and our failures, God can use us to make an eternal difference in the life of another. The Greek word for go here, when he says go and make disciples of all nations, is actually a participle in the Greek. It, it can be translated as as you go, as you're going. Jesus is telling us that as you live your daily life, as you're going, point others to Jesus. As you're going in your schools, to your schools, or to your place of work, or to your social circles, or to your neighborhood, as you're going, live in such a way that we point others to Jesus, so that we might make disciples. The title of today's message is Missional Living. Missional, living as the sent people of God. Just as God the Father sent his son to this earth to save all of us, now Jesus is sending us to point others to him so they too might be saved. He's commissioning us to go and and make disciples. But how do we do that? How do we make disciples exactly? How does one make a disciple, a follower, a student of Jesus? Well, first you have to be a disciple to make a disciple, right? Howard Hendricks, one of the great teachers at Dallas Theological Seminary, talks about the rule of the teacher. You can't give what you don't have. No, we've got to live and submit our lives to the teachings of Jesus in such a way that people take notice and they wonder why we do what we do. What teachings of Jesus specifically? I mean, there's four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. That's a lot of information. I want to make it real simple for all of us here today. I want to narrow it down to its pure essence. Two things. Love God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And second is like it, Jesus tells us in Matthew 22. The second most important commandment is like it. It's to love our neighbor as ourselves. And we know from the Sermon on the Mount that we love our neighbor as ourselves by by treating them the way we would want to be treated if we were them. Doing to others as we would have done to us. If we'll focus on doing these two things, first and foremost, loving God and loving our neighbor then others will begin to wonder, why do we love and serve and forgive the way that we do? And then we can point them to Jesus and let them know that it's because he first loved us. For God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son who was without sin here to this earth to pay the price for our sins with his death on a cross. And then on the third day, he rose again, conquering sin and death on our behalf. And in gratitude for God's amazing love and grace, we seek to live lives that reflect his love, and his grace. Now let's make no mistake about it. The Great Commission, it's great. It's not a small commission. It's a great commission. It's a big deal. It's not going to be easy. It's going to take the best of who God has made us to be. That's why we as a church have made the decision as the session and the finance committee that in 2017 we've, we've made a proposed budget where 
15% of the money that comes in here is going to go out to local and global missions so that we can have an impact around the globe so that we can be a part of God's saving work, not only here in Amarillo, but also around the globe. And I'm so blessed that in a moment here, you're going to have Billy Swan share with you about how his, our mission team from this church who, who helped him was able to help grow his ministry. Billy Swan is one of our missionaries that we have. And, you know, six years ago, we had 12 missionaries. But as we've been emphasizing and growing our missions budget, now we have 24 missionaries. People around the globe who are helping make a difference, who are helping make disciples, who are helping fulfill this great commission. One of those missionaries is Greg Hurst. He lives in Bolivia. And, you know, our church has given a lot of money to help build his church in Bolivia. And in April, we're going to be taking a team to Bolivia to to help dedicate that church, a church that we helped build here in Amarillo. Yes, we're making a difference, not just in Amarillo, but around the world because we take this commission seriously. And we're grateful for all that God has done for us. We know that God has blessed us to be a blessing. I want to encourage you over the next few weeks to begin praying about how God might use your time and your talents and your treasures as a part of this church to help make a difference for his kingdom, to help fulfill that great commission. It's by the power of the Holy Spirit, we need to follow Christ's model of discipleship by having an imitative faith, showing others how to love God and how to love our neighbor by treating them the way we would want to be treated if we were in their situation. First prayer is, I, I believe we can do this. If we're not dead, then God's not done with us yet. He still wants to use us to help make disciples. I believe in us, but most importantly, Jesus believes in us. Despite our doubts, despite our fears, despite our failures, Jesus wants to use each one of us to make disciples as we go, living a life that seeks to honor him. In gratitude for God's love, we love God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. In gratitude for God's love, we love our neighbor as ourselves so that they might see and experience Christ's love through us. So they might see and believe, and in believing, be saved. Yes, as we go, let us remember the final words of that great commission. We do not go alone. Jesus is with us to the very end of the age. So we don't have to be overwhelmed by the commission. But we can live into this commission knowing that Jesus is with us, and by his Spirit's power, he's going to use us. I believe in you. Most importantly, Jesus believes in all of us. Let's pray. God, I thank you that you're a God who believes in us. Lord, you're a God who despite our brokenness and our failures, you're able to use us by your spirit to make a difference in the lives of others. God, I pray that you'd continue to guide and lead each one of us, Lord, as we seek to be your faithful disciples. Lord, I pray that by your spirit, you would use us to point others to you. Lord, help us to live in such a way that we glorify and honor you by loving you with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength as Jesus did, and loving our neighbor as ourselves as Jesus did, unconditionally, sacrificially, offering forgiveness, knowing that we have been forgiven much, and so we should forgive out of gratitude for the gift forgiveness we've received from you. We thank you, Lord, for this church. I thank you for the way that you're able to use our church to make a difference, not only locally here in Amarillo in places like San Jacinto or at Camp Rock High School through the Young Life Ministry there, but also around the globe in places like Ireland. God, help us to see how we can continue to fulfill the great commission you've called us to, knowing that you go with us every step along the way. In your son's precious name we pray, and all God's people said, amen.